Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, everyone. Happy day after Valentine's Day. I don't know. Are we still celebrating? I don't know. We're, it's year three of the pandemic. I know we said this in the last podcast, but... I don't know. I mean, I feel like it used to be where, like, holidays made Madden. days special. And, yeah. Like, I'm not saying that they don't, but, like, also, there's not much of a difference for me between a weekday and a weekend. Yes. Because... I'm home doing work with a toddler, right. and it doesn't matter that it's on the weekend. <laughs> right. Same. <laughs> um, holidays, you know, I mean, we do know, if yeah. If you were able to celebrate and you were able to do something special with your family, we are so happy for you, and maybe you got to get away from your children, and I'm not saying that because I want to get away from my child because I can't stand the thought of him being going to daycare, so... Clearly, I'm not in that headspace. Oh I gosh. wish I was. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, no, hopefully you were able to at least, you know, obviously with kids, you can kind of celebrate all the holidays again without yeah. it seeming cheesy, which is fun. We are, you know, well into this new year, even though we're halfway through an academic school year. You know, a lot of the patterns and things that Amanda and I are seeing, we'll probably do a, a special episode soon about trends Uh and things that we're seeing. But another reminder, we're just like on this kick for the month of February. If you guys have questions, we've gotten a lot of great questions since we reminded you on the podcast to send in for Amanda and I to answer. So please keep sending them in. We really appreciate it. We like doing the for the most part, um, uh, having a reason to to get best. our face on, I suppose. Yeah, so keep sending them in. And yeah, we have a really good episode today. I know we just recently had a speech and language pathologist on Jesse, but we love hearing about all the different ways that speech and language pathologists are providing the service, are collaborating with school districts, and we have Suzanne Aldrich on. Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. Can you give a little bit of your background for our listeners? Sure. So I have been a speech therapist for over a decade, which is crazy for me to even say. Uh, I don't feel like I'm old enough to be at that. Right? Therapist for 10 years. Yeah. I have been, and I started my career with adults and then moved into the school system after that. It was, you know, adults in the hospital, it's a little bit of a fast paced burnout situation. So I was looking for change. I went to the public school system and I worked in middle school and preschool for three years. Oh, wow. And now I have my own private practice where I travel to children between, you know, preschool age and and school age still. So I still have my hands in the school system world. Um, yeah. You know, parents are always asking questions and what to do and IEPs and bringing me their children's IEPs. So I definitely have kept myself in that world. It's such a unique perspective because I feel like we see the opposite. We see people starting out their careers working with kids and in the school system, and then they might switch to a different age or something else. So I think that's a unique perspective you can give. 
you know, I think, and I do think my work with adults helped. I was just going to say, yeah, just like seeing that end of it, right? Like the, where if early intervention wasn't provided, like what could have, like, I think that that's really interesting. There was a lot of emphasis too on cognition when you're working with adults and you realize Mm. how important cognition is and the underpinnings for language. And it just, you know, if you don't see that, I don't know that you get that perspective, which was, I thought... Yeah, I think, you know, we've had a lot of clients where it was just a severe speech and language deficit, but the way that the cognitive testing and things are done like that, just kind of alluding to what you were talking about, you know, it shows something completely different. And if you don't have people with a keen eye realizing the impact of language, you're not necessarily, you know, getting the whole picture of the child. And that can go undiagnosed really for years So that's why we were excited to kind of have you on. Obviously, when we had Jessie on, she was talking about, you know, helping her kiddos advocate for themselves and the perspective. Yeah, we wanted you to bring, especially as you had said, you know, I have parents bringing me IEPs. (laughs) What do you see more often than not? Do you see the fact that, you know, a private evaluation would be needed? Is the, you know, my take is, you know, the data is there, but it's the interpretation oftentimes that gets kind of skewed from my personal experience at IEP meetings. What do you kind of have a take on those kind of school-based evaluations that you're seeing? Or do you just try to do your own and try to give as much information as possible to the parent? So, you know, I think it depends on the area where you are. It all depends on where you're, you're practicing. But where I am, I'm very lucky. Like the school systems are great. The evaluations, I think, are thorough and comprehensive. So from my perspective, when parents bring IEPs to me, it's usually just questions of, you know, do you think this is enough services? Do mm-hmm. you think, you know, group versus individual? Yep. What about these goals? Yep. So that's what I get a lot of when I look at IEPs. For me, you know, I think the evaluations are always thorough. And like you said, it's how you interpret the data. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's always the difference between the school system and a private setting. The school system, you know, you need to see an educational impact. So you can have all this data, and if the kid's thriving in the classroom, if they had a standardized test score that was off, it means something different in the school system versus what it might mean for somebody outside in a private practice, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. Sometimes I feel like I jump when I have a lot of caffeine, I jump too soon. So I was waiting to see if Amanda wanted to say something. (laughs) Because, yeah, I had a lot of caffeine today. So when you were, you had kind of alluded to this when you were working with adults, what are some of the things with your early age? What are the kind of common misconceptions or common questions that parents have when you're dealing with the preschoolers? So I think, first of all, a lot of times people think speech therapists just do speech, Uh like we just deal with speech. And that is a big part of what we do. But we also deal with language. We're speech language pathologists. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my preschoolers sound completely fine. And we're working more on those basic language concepts in, out, up, down, big, small, those kinds of things. And, you know, we do still treat a ton of speech sound disorders, but I think that's the biggest misconception that there's so many other areas that speech language pathologists can be involved in. Yeah, they forget that it's speech and language. Mm-hmm. We get that a lot too. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when we've had families that come to us and maybe they haven't had speech therapy because they never had an articulation issue, but they never received some type of speech evaluation and 
you know, the parent is concerned about their communication with peers or their self-advocacy or their communication with adults or, you know, there's so much to the language component. And even when we think about language, when it comes to in the classroom, academic language, you know, being able to express yourself, there's so much more to it. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say the <laughs> language piece is so pervasive. You can't go to math class and right. not be proficient with language. You know, there's word problems and there's reading. And so, you know, like you said, the language is just everywhere. You can't, you can't escape it. You need to be proficient academically. Yeah, and it ties so much together. I think one of the things that we sometimes have to fight is getting that collaboration between the special ed or gen ed teacher and the speech pathologist because we'll have a lot of times like speech goals, speech and language goals, and then we'll have academic goals. And we so often are quick to having the speech goals be measured and worked on in the speech setting. And even parents have this misconception too of like, well, my kid needs more direct speech. We need more one-on-one pull-out, not realizing that a lot of these skills have to be generalized across the settings if we really want the child to make progress and develop these skills. And so being able to communicate on a one-on-one setting with an adult is great, but if you can't generalize those skills to the peers in the classroom or how it's you know, generalizing to academic work, then we're missing that component and wanting to make sure that we're utilizing, you know, everybody together to collaborate and have these goals that work cross-setting is also important. Absolutely. And I think my situation might have been an anomaly because I did a lot of push-in and, you know, if a client, if a child was on my caseload, I either had an individual and group, but always a push-in session. I always wanted to see them in the classroom. And like you said, sometimes parents think that's a lesser service, but to me, that's the goal. Right. Like, that's where I want to be. I want to see when you're in science class, you know, and there's new vocabulary, what are you doing? Or are you right. in these complex sentences in your textbook, in your social studies textbook, and you're lost because you can't follow the syntax. So to me, those sessions are really... Yeah. And I feel like once that's explained like that, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And oftentimes, you know, we IEP meetings are the ones that are asking like, okay, well, what would this push in look like? Because for parents, they want one to one. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's something that a lot of parents push for. And, you know, I've had a lot of great speech and language pathologists, you know, say, well, we need a group setting because that's how they practice. But it's really hard to get the parent away from a one-to-one because in your mind, you're thinking, well, that's the best, you know, and that's what my child needs. Right. And there is certainly value to both. There are times when I want a child individually because I want to sit face-to-face, no distractions, and focus on this skill. But if that's the only place you can do it, then I haven't done my job. Yeah. And we talk a lot about processing disorders and a lot of times we're thinking of sensory processing or auditory processing visual Mm -hmm. processing and you know a lot of them overlap but I think a lot of the missing components sometimes the parents don't understand it it's not explained to them is the language processing too and how you know not just how they're communicating in the classroom but even with like written expression and working through worksheets in a classroom if there's a language processing deficit it's not necessarily well they can't read or, you know, they're not paying attention, but it's taking the information that's given to them and being able to express it on, say, a worksheet and apply the information. That language processing piece to that, I think, 
speech therapists can really help mm-hmm. collaborate with teachers on that component and, and often kids who need the like intensive intervention because they haven't been able to connect those dots for years could really benefit from that collaboration early on. I totally agree. And it was, that was another point that I wanted to bring up is that, you know, language isn't just listening and talking, it's reading and writing. Yep. And there's so much of that in the school system. And like you said, to collaborate with the teachers, I loved working with the teachers in the classroom because they know the curriculum and I can put it in a language lens. Do you know what I mean? So yep. you get, mm-hmm. get the best of both worlds that way. Can you tell us a little bit about your private practice and what you do? Specifically, yeah, like so obviously we talked about evaluations, but maybe just kind of give a little bit more info. So for me right now, I do deal mostly with speech sound disorders. Oh, okay. I, do, I do have some early language kids on my caseload at this point. So, you know, I travel to homes or I go into preschools. They provide me with places to do services and I work with the kids that way. As far as evaluations go, Mm -hmm. a lot of times kids will come with either an early intervention evaluation or an evaluation from the school. So I'll leave doing a formal evaluation. I just do an informal and go from there. I have a lot of students who do get speech in school and then also come to see me privately. So, you know, I collaborate with the school SLPs too, which is just agree. Yeah. Are you working kind of on the same goals? Are you trying to get that, you know, for the child to perform across all settings? Are you doing, you know, working on different stuff? How does that work? So I think, and here's, I don't know the exact legality of it because I don't take insurance. So for ah. me, I have, of, I have a lot of leeway. Okay. Um, there's no, it doesn't matter if the goals overlap because um, I'm not billing anybody specifically. So, but I do feel like i remember this from the school system that if, you know, there, there, there has to be some sort of differentiation in the goals, but I don't hold me to that. I can't quote that for yeah. sure. For me, you know, I work on what I need to work on. When I talk to the school speech therapist, sometimes we are working on similar areas, mm-hmm. but sometimes we'll be working on completely different things. A lot of times the school speech therapist is doing the language and I'm doing speech just because that's kind of the specialty that I fell into at this point. Yeah. So it does, it makes sense to do the language, you know, a lot of language in the school. Not that I don't work on language. Obviously everything is language. Right, Um, right. My my main focus is the speech sounds at this point. And so if a parent is wanting to, preschool is a really fun time, right? And Mm -hmm. If a parent is feeling that their child's language may not be progressing, like what are your kind of go-tos, you know, how quickly? I know a lot of times a parent will go to a pediatrician and that's kind of the first line of defense and they may, you know, write a referral. But do you have kind of any tips for parents that, you know, have no experience in other than their pediatrician in like seeking out a speech and language pathologist? Yeah, Yeah. like when's the threshold? When should you be concerned and be looking more for actual therapy versus just like trying to work with them more at home. So, I mean, if you want milestones as a three-year-old, they should be putting together three to four words, sentences, and that's like, you know, on the kind of lower end, (laughs) three to four word sentences. They should have a thousand words in their expressive vocabulary. Those kinds of things I would look for, they should be able to follow two-step directions and identify basic objects and actions and pictures. But my go-to is always, I always tell them, call the school. I said, you can request 
to have them, you know, take a look at this and see if it's worth an evaluation. That's literally my go-to. There are times where I'll refer parents to a neurodevelopmental pediatrician, just if I think there's more to look at than their general practitioner, you know, pediatrician would be able to look at. But yeah, I always give the recommendation of getting in contact with the school system, because if there is a need, why not? You know, why not get that evaluation and get those services? Yeah, that's always a good suggestion that we we try to tell families with, you know, kids that are either just about to be three or older than three, even not just with speech and language concerns, but any concerns you might have. That is the district's purview. And, And I know that some families, you know, don't want to go straight to the school and you know, that's okay too, but yeah. always know that that is something that the district, school district are obligated to do an assessment if you're concerned about any aspect of your child's education at that point. Yeah, I've had parents who don't want to go that route, and I always feel a little sad because I'm like, why? You know, you can get them these services if they need them, but, you know, you can't force anybody. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just a lot of you don't know what you don't know, and right. there has been a long standing label of getting special education services. I mean, it's in the name, right? Special education services. And while humans love to categorize things and until school districts think of better ways of being more collaborative and going beyond that label, you know, I can see why. And just obviously, if you're listening to us and, you know, from our personal experience, we're on the end where we're advocating. So we see the worst part of it, right? in the 10, 11 years that we've been doing it. But that's not, like you had said, Suzanne, like the case from like the testing that you see and things like that. So there is hope and it is a good option if you're up for it. But yeah, I can see how it could be overwhelming for a parent. But it's great that they have someone like yourself that, you know, they could get a second opinion or first opinion and how you're looking at things to make referrals for other things. I think it's so important for parents to kind of curate their village as much as possible. And if you believe that your child may have these issues, it'd be really nice to have somebody else, right, outside of a pediatrician's referral to take a look. So whether that be the school, whether that be a private SLP, you know, the information is out there. Uh, Suzanne, if people wanted to reach out to you or get more information about where you are and your practice, where can they go? So I have a website. It's not really geared toward my private practice. It's geared toward my other side hustle. Okay. (laughs) But they're more than welcome to check it out. It is playingspeech.com. And I'm also on Instagram at playingspeech, which is, again, more geared toward my side hustle than my private practice. My private practice is really word of mouth and client referrals. So (laughs) I haven't really gone the official internet route with that. Yeah, um, yeah. If people are looking for me, that's where they can find me. Excellent. We will put that in our show notes. And before we kind of wrap up here, we're going to put you on the spot a little bit. We've been trying to end on a a feel-good story. Do you have a story off the top of your head about a consumer or a parent or just, you know, in your personal experience helping a kiddo that you could share with us? Oh, you put me. You said you were going to put me on the spot, and I got nervous. But I have the perfect story. Excellent. <laughs> it literally just happened. So Good. I'm working with a new child. He has something called apraxia. Yep. His mom was like, you know, he never says mom or mommy. We've had daddy forever. He calls Aww. me nana. Like he couldn't hear the sound. Yeah. And we worked together for a couple of 
weeks, and out came mommy, and <gasps> mom started crying. I, I right? Yeah. We all, <laughs> yeah. Aww. We all just kind of lost it, and he's just taken off ever since. And it was just one of those moments where you're like, "Yes, this is why I do what I do." What a sweet baby angel! Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah, I was. I told yeah, you those are the best comments. I had the story for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast and giving us a little bit more information and, and how parents can kind of access speech and language and, and know a little bit more about it. You guys reach out to her. And then if you have any questions relating to the law, reach out to us. Uh, we can't provide legal advice, but we can provide you a generalized answer and kind of get you on your way. Well, thank you guys for having me. It was awesome. I'm really excited to chat all things speech all the time. All right, so if right. If anybody has any questions, they can reach out to me. Totally. Thank you so much, Suzanne. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.